Yeah, so we just got done with this series called One Another, kind of about how we um, interact, how we love one another, how we serve one another, all these things, right? So this, uh, today, as Luke said, we have this sermon on identity, tagline, who do you think you are, right? So this is just, this is not a new series, this is just kind of a one-off um, we're going to start a new series next week. This is just some stuff that I've been thinking about a lot over the last year or so. Um, there's just so much in the world about identity, right? So before I jump into the sermon, um, I, I just want to open with a story about this shirt here, all right, this red polo. So um, I teach sixth grade English at Galax Middle School. Let me tell you, the sixth graders are brutal, all right? They go for the throat, all right? There's one of them here. I'm not going to name any names or anything, but there's one of them here. All right, now, I see this shirt in Walmart, and I'm like, that's a nice-looking red polo there. You know, that might look good with my khakis. I th- it was like 10 bucks. You know, it was cheap, you know. Um, so I buy it, and a few days later, maybe on, you know, a Friday, kind of a more casual day, I wear it to school. Not even there 10 minutes. And I hear, hey, Jake from State Farm. Look, it's Jake from State Farm. Yeah. I didn't even think about it, you know. I mean, I've seen the commercial. I did not, if you don't know who Jake from State Farm is, go Google it. But if you've seen the commercial, you know, right? All right, the khakis and the red polo and everything. So, yeah, I was Jake from State Farm for the day. But, but you all know, and I know, and even the sixth graders know, that I'm not Jake from State Farm, right? That's not my identity. It's not who I am. I am Austin Pinckney, right? Um, but what does it mean to be Austin Pinkney? What does that even mean? You know, I mean, I could give you a list of things about me. I, I'm a Christian. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a teacher. Um, I like uh, skateboarding, canoeing, archery, chess, um, all these things. But is that really, those are about me, but is that really what my identity is? Is that really who I am? Um, maybe not. Maybe they're part of it. What role do they play, you know? And, and maybe in, uh, who are you? The tagline, who do you think you are? What are the things about you? How do you, how do you identify? What are the things, that, the tags you add whenever you, maybe whenever you introduce yourself when you're getting to know somebody, they're getting to know you, right? Um, there's, a, there's a number of ways. My wife and I were, the other night, kind of preparing for the sermon, came up with a list of, of ways that we identify ourselves, ways that we find our identity, or, or ways that we, um, you, you know, where, where we find that kind of identity, Right? Um, so just a, just a list here of some things. Maybe politics, the, the way you align politically. Maybe that's kind of where you find identity. Or maybe it has to do with your job or your career, the things that you do. Often, like I, I, I said it earlier, um, I'm a teacher at Galax Middle School. Um, that's some way that we um, kind of identify ourselves, right? Maybe it has to do with family, and that could be the people who raised you, um, it could be your role in the family, whether you are a husband or a wife or a father or a mother um, or uh, a son or a daughter. It could be um, like your marital status, whether you're single or, or married. Maybe you find identity some way in that. Maybe it has to do with religion. Maybe it has to do with culture. Maybe that's the larger kind of culture of the United States or even a more um, localized culture like of Galax. You know, like our culture looks different than it does in, say, New York City, right? Um, maybe it has to do with music. Maybe you draw a lot of your identity from music. I know whenever I was in, like, middle and high school, the music I listened to largely determined how I dressed, you know? Um, 
friends and enemies, the things that they say and think about you, maybe those things identify you. Maybe uh, your hobbies, like I mentioned, I like skateboarding, canoeing, archery, chess. Maybe you identify from those things. Um, Gender and sexuality is a big one that the world is looking at for identity. The things we're good at, whether maybe you identify as being smart or not. Um, uh, Your image or how you look, fashion, the way that you dress. These things, and I'm sure there's a ton more, but these things are all ways where we kind of look for identity. Um, But is that really the essence of what identity is? Is that really maybe what, what the Bible says? Is that kind of what God intended? Is it... Um, are, those, are those holy what our identity is? Do they make up parts of it? Um, so I want to explore today kind of what, um, what I think the Bible says about identity, uh, what I think God says about it. So I have, uh, I'll give you a little summary here of where, where we're going to go. We're going to talk about three different layers, um, facets, avenues, if you will, of identity, three different layers of identity. Um, we're going to start in Genesis, just to kind of spend a little bit of time there. Then we're going to work, uh, we're going to go into Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, the verse that we read, or the verses that we read um, for during worship there. That's going to be kind of our main verses that we look at. And I'm going to kind of um, make my way towards giving the example of Paul from the Bible. Um, so that's kind of our, our roadmap there, where we're going to go. I'm going to go ahead and give you the main idea of this sermon. If you don't, just, so catch this. If you didn't, if you missed anything in there, tune in now. Now's the time. Um, and we're going to kind of rethread this, this main idea through these points of these layers of identity. So, your identity has more to do with who Jesus is than who you are. And you can swap out God there. Your identity has more to do with who God is than who, who you are. It's more or less interchangeable, right? So, identity has more to do with who Jesus is than who you are. Keep that in mind. Okay, let's jump right in. Let's go to Genesis. Uh, I, it's uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. I only have 27 on the screen because I decided after they were put in there to add 26 in, just to give you a little more um, context. But this is the beginning of the Bible, right? The very first chapter, chapter 1, Genesis. Creation. God is creating everything, right? He's made um, heaven and earth. He's made the, the, the sun, dark, light and dark. He's made the, the fish and the birds and the animals and all this stuff, right? Now he's making man. It says, uh, starting in 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Okay, so this brings us to our first layer of identity. The first layer of identity. You are made in the image of God. Okay, made in the image of God. Now, um, the main idea, right, has more, that your identity has more to do with who Jesus is than who you are. How does that apply to this? Well, you have no, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, you have no control over being made in the image of God. Whether you believe it or not, you are made in the image of God. God made you in his image. So that has more to do with who, Jesus, who God is, right? You have no control over that. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, where you're from, what you did. You are made in the image of God. All right. So that has more to do with who Jesus is. Now, um, I want to show you just, I have, and, and again, kind of like the list of identity stuff I, I kind of threw out there. I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but these are, I got four things that I kind of just, um, little things that I think what it kind of means to be made in the image of God. And ultimately what I'm going to do, uh, at the end I'm going to kind of arrive, kind of circle back to the image of God. So um, 
We're not going to fully kind of develop this whole idea. I'll give you a few things, and at the end, we're going to kind of end there with the image of God, kind of come back to it. So, first thing um, about what it means to be made in the image of God is morality, right? We have a sense of right and wrong. Um, because God is wholly good, right? Uh, he's, he's, there's sin, God is not, not, sin does not exist in God. God is not sinful, bad, or evil in any way. He's wholly good, right? So we're made in that image. So we have, a, we have an understanding um, of what's right and wrong. And that's the world over. Anywhere you go in the world, cultures have rules and laws that dictate what they do. Um, and they're all fairly similar. That's what's amazing. There's laws about stealing, about murder, right? There's laws and rules that govern how you marry. And in, in, in every culture, you can't just claim someone as your wife um, or husband. There are some hoops you got to jump through, right? Maybe you have to date or ask permission or whatever it looks like. It's different. But the fact is that remains that there is some kind of um, way to do it, right? Um, so we have this idea of right and wrong, okay? Uh, we're rational. We can reason. Not only do we, are we equipped with this sense of right and wrong, we can think about it. We have the ability to talk about abstract concepts like justice, right? Like if I say the word justice, um, there's not like a picture of justice. You might have an example but like if I say dog, you, you, you can, I can give you a picture of a dog. But justice, um, you can't really put a picture to that. It, it's a concept. It's an idea, right? Now, on the, on the note of, on the idea, on the, on the topic of dogs, um, a dog doesn't have a word for justice, right? It can, a dog can communicate to some extent. They bark, they whine, they bare their teeth, hair stands up, um, they wag their tail, stuff like that. They communicate, but it's fairly limited, you know? Uh, it, it, maybe those things express a, a fairly limited range of feelings for a dog or, or something they need to communicate, but they can't talk about justice, right? They can't talk about these kinds of concepts, but we can because we're made in the image of God. Next, we're spiritual, right? We can not only can we talk about these kinds of things, can we talk about um, these abstract concepts, but we can relate to God, okay? Um, we are made to relate to Him, right? Uh, the next one, God is the creator. He created the whole world, the universe. He created us, everything in this world. But we are made as creators also. Not only um, did God create us, he made us as creators. If you look around, uh, we're in a box of creation, right? There's, um, you know, bricks, mortar, there's lumber, timber, um, two-by-fours, drywall, carpet, all that make up this building. You know, we're made, we create things. Um, if you've ever been to Charleston, uh, South Carolina, uh, my wife and I were there recently for a trip. And if you go over the Cooper River Bridge between Mount Pleasant and Charleston, it's a massive bridge. It's huge. Uh, if you look, at, it's really cool. If you look at pictures of that bridge next to the old one, like when they were building it, the old one is, is, looks much smaller. I've, I've, I drove over, I, I didn't drive, but I was riding. It's like scary. The new bridge is, I mean, it's huge though. And it's not only big and functional, but it's also pleasing to the eye, right? So we make things that are not only functional, but they look good. Um, so yeah, we're creators, just like God. Okay, one more thing kind of on being made in the image of God. Um, like I said, we're going to circle back to it, but I want you to keep in mind, we're made in the image of God. No matter who you are, you know, you have no control over that, whether you believe in Jesus or not, made in the image of God. Thing is that we are, we're broken, right? That image of God has become like blurry or, or distorted or dirty or something, right? So keep that in mind. We're going to kind of circle back to the idea. For now, we're going to keep moving. Let's go to Ephesians, um, our verse from worship this morning, our verses. We're going to go uh, here, I'm going to go kind of, you know, two or three verses at the time and, and kind of talk about them. 
how they relate to um, identity. We're going to kind of find our second and third layers of identity in these verses here. Let's start out. Uh, this is chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. All right, so we're going to kind of just break this apart a little bit, look at some specific words here. Um, let's talk about trespasses and sins. Trespasses and sins. When I think of the word trespassing, I think of a boundary, right? Think of like a no trespassing sign. Don't go beyond this point unless you have permission. You're not supposed to be here. Right, so the word that is tra- the Greek word that's translated trespasses, um, it's like a lapse or deviation from truth. So if you're if you're trespassing, you're kind of going beyond the boundary of God's truth, right? Um, then this next word, sin, they're kind of trespasses and sins. They're kind of thrown in together, right? Sins. This is a uh, this this is a word. Um, the Greek word literally means to miss the mark. Uh, it's actually an archery term. I've got a visual here. I've got a vi- uh, a, a picture. Um, so this is a target with some arrows in it, right? This is, um, I shoot archery, I love archery. Uh, this is a group I shot a little while back. Um, so if you notice, the target there, that red circle, is about six inches. My, generally my goal is to have all arrows within that six inches. If my, if my bad shots are still within that six inches, that's, that's not bad, right? That's a pretty okay group there, right? Um, now if you look at the top though, up there like almost in the wood, that arrow up there, I don't know what happened there, all right? Um, you know, that's about five arrows when I, I shoot, you know, as many as I have usually. Um, but I'll, I'll be shooting and I'll be getting, you know, a pretty good group and stuff. And, you know, that fifth arrow, the, one of the last ones, I don't know if I just, I just psych myself out or something or, or get a little anxious, but I, I, it's almost always the last one way off target. I missed the mark like that one there. And I don't know what happens, you know. And, and isn't life like that sometimes? Like maybe you are going along, you're doing well. You're hitting the mark, and then you just, you miss the mark kind of out of nowhere, it seems like. And maybe, maybe it surprises you that you, you're capable of that, or maybe, uh, maybe you chose to do it and, and stuff. But, but that's kind of, you know, that, that term sin, it's, it's, it's that archery term, to miss the mark. You're missing the mark of God's truth or, or, um, or trespassing. You're kind of going beyond the boundary of God's truth. If you look actually up there, there's a dark spot in the top right. That's actually where I missed the mark before. That's a field point that's lodged in the wood there that I can't get out. So I missed the mark a few times. Um, anyways, that's my visual on the term for sin. All right, there's another phrase in here I want to look at. Prince of the power of the air. Or um, that's what was the ESV read this morning, Prince of the power. In the, in the one that's up on the screen, it says... Um, ruler of the power of the air. If you've not read this before, that might be kind of a confusing phrase. I think the first time I read it, I was like, what in the world is the prince of the power of the air? Um, but that's essentially Satan. That's the devil, right? The prince of the power of the air. So air probably refers to like a spiritual realm, like the heavenly places. Uh, later on in Ephesians, Paul refers to the heavenly places in regards to spiritual warfare. Um, I also want to make a couple notes here. Um, He's called a prince, not a king. I think it's important to remember that, that Jesus is king, right? So he doesn't have the ultimate authority. But I think it's important to remember to not forget that, that, uh, that Satan does have power, right? Uh, if you look at the book of Job, um, God allows Job, or he allows Satan to attack Job in certain ways, right? He allows him to take lots of things from him. 
Um, and, and why? You might ask, why does God allow Satan to do that? Or why does God allow bad things to happen to people? Um, and we could spend a whole series on that probably. But just to, to, the, a short answer um, is essentially that uh, God has a greater plan besides those bad things. He has a bigger plan that um, ultimately points to, uh, that is good, that points to his goodness, right? He does it for his glory. Um, okay, where else are we here? Um, oh, I want to point out, um, so um, we, we kind of have an idea of what trespasses and sins are. Uh, according to, the, you know, being influenced by Satan, right? According to the rule of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedience. So this spirit, this, this spirit of evil of Satan is working in the sons of the disobedient, right? Disobedient, essentially, those who are not following Christ, those who do not, um, um, those who think they make a better God than Jesus, those who are not submitted to Christ. That's kind of what that's saying. And he's kind of saying, um, you were like this, right? He's kind of talking, he's talking to believers here. He's saying you were like these people. Um, one more word, I want to point your attention to dead in trespasses. Dead in trespasses. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, so it's a figure of speech, right? Not literally dead. If I was dead, in my tr- I wouldn't be here because uh, the first time I sinned, I'd be dead, right? We've all sinned, right? So it's sort of a, a figurative language there. Dead in your tr- you're sort of spiritually dead. You're under God's judgment, right? Okay, let's keep going. We're going to build on this a little bit here in uh, 3 through 5. 3 through 5. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Mm, that's a good one. Okay, so... We were like these sons of disobedience. We were like the disobedient, um, right, is what he's saying. He's kind of equating to how we were. It, it, it's it's um, signaling a change, right? We were under God's wrath. The word wrath is in there, under God's judgment, okay? There's an important word, though, three-letter word, but, right? That signals a change, a turn, right? But you were like this, but now what? Now um, uh, but God, who is rich in mercy, right? Mercy being um, us given something that we don't deserve. Um, because of his great love he had for us, he made us alive with Christ. All right. It's a binary. It's a one or the other. You're either dead in trespasses or alive in Christ, right? That is our second layer of, um, of identity. So first one was um, that we're made in the image of God. A second layer of identity, alive in Christ or dead in trespasses and sins. All right. Um, there's a, I heard a, a, he uses the word wrath in here. There's a sermon, there's a series by Matt Chandler, uh, the Village Church he did on identity. It's like seven or eight long. It's really good. If you have a chance to listen to it, um, it's good. But he, he kind of says it like you're either a child of God or a child of wrath. Kind of saying the same thing, right? Okay. We're going to build on this. We're going to build on why this relates to, remember our main point, your identity has more to do with who Jesus is than who you are, right? Okay, we're going to build on that in this next set of verses here. 6 through 9, Ephesians 6 through 9. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Okay, we're talking about being alive in Christ, dead in sins. We're saved, right? That's a saving language. Uh, We're not just saved, we're raised up and seated with Christ, it says in the beginning there, right? We're not like we're saved and we go to some separate place. No, when we're saved, we, we will be with God, with Christ in heaven, right? Um, and this kind of gets at the why. Why does, God, why does it? It displays God's grace, His kindness. It gives glory to God. Now, here's why, um, here's how our second layer of identity, right? You're either alive in Christ, alive with Christ, or dead in sin, Right? This is how our second identity, how our main idea that Jesus, your identity has more to do with who Jesus is than who you are, how it ties in. Okay, this is important. This is, this is so, super important. Okay, if you, this is like the cornerstone of what it means to be a Christian. If you boil down Christianity to its essence, I think this is it right here in this passage. This is great. Um, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Okay, so you're saved by grace. This is God's gift. He, you know a gift? Like someone gives you a gift, you just take it, right? It's not something that you do. You didn't go buy it. You didn't make it. They gave it to you, right? That's, what, that's how God's grace works. He forgives us our sins. He gives us this grace. It's something that we just take, right? So this is how it relates to that, that main idea. Um, that our identity has more to do with who Jesus is than who we are. We don't earn that grace. So it has nothing to do with us. So this layer of identity, you're either alive with Christ or dead in your sins, has everything to do with who Jesus is. Jesus earned us that justification, right? Not us, right? That's how it ties back. Um, there's, I, I mentioned the Matt Chandler, that sermon series about identity. He has a, uh, an analogy in that series that I really, really liked about this layer of identity, about being... Um, a child of God or a child of wrath or being alive with Christ or dead in sin, right? It's buttons on your shirt. So when you button your shirt, I, don't know, I start at the bottom. Anybody else start? So Jack, uh, Jayla, last service starts at the top. Um, I, don't, I, just, I, I don't think I'd do that. Anyways, but I start at the bottom, but you got to get your first button right, right? If you get that first button wrong, the whole shirt's going to be messed up. You know, you got to start all over. And uh, so you have to, so this is like that first button. What I mean is you can't, you can't help that you're made in the image of God. Like I said, whether you like it or not, you're made in the image of God. But here, this is God's gift to us. But you have, a, you have to choose. You choose whether or not you take that gift or not. So this is that first button, right? You get that first button right, then, then, then the next layer of identity is going to kind of fall into place, right? So you got to get that button right. So God's grace is that first button. Uh, just submitting to Christ, recognizing Christ as the only way that you are made right with God. Okay, so that's our second layer. We've, we've had, what have we had? We had made in the image of God, alive with Christ, or dead in sins, and how they all tie back to how Jesus has more to do with identity than who we think we are, right? Okay, let's keep going. Ephesians 2.10, the last verse in our section here. <clears throat> for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. All right. Uh, we're going to take a little detour over to Romans for a moment. We're going to talk about the word workmanship, all right? The word workmanship is very important here. This is kind of leading up to our third layer of identity, right? Okay, so let's jump over to Romans. This is in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, and this is just give us a little more context on this word workmanship. The word workmanship um, 
literally just mean in the Greek is uh, poema. Uh, it's where we get the word for poetry or poem. Um, it's kind of interesting to think that we are God's poem or poetry, but it doesn't just mean like poem or poetry. It's a more broad word. It literally just means the thing that's made or the thing that is created. So workmanship. Uh, this, this verse in Romans here is specifically talking about God's wrath, right, and how the things that God created point to who he is. So essentially we have no excuse. I'll read it to you. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Through what he has made, that's where that word comes in, the thing that's made. Okay, so I have three photos um, that I kind of think, when I think of workman, God's workmanship, um, these are kind of the things I think of, right? The first one here. All right, this is the Andromeda galaxy. All right, this is God's workmanship, right? This galaxy is our closest neighboring galaxy. Uh, you can actually see it with the naked eye if it's really dark and really clear. Um, it do, I mean, you can't see it like that. It looks just like this little kind of light blurb up in the sky there. Um, but this thing, a galaxy is made up of like billions of stars, right? Like these stars in the foreground of this picture are the stars in our galaxy. The, the, the big swirly thing back there, that's the Andromeda galaxy. So um, it's, it's massive, all right? Space, galaxies, are, are beyond comprehensible to me because they're so big, all right? I, I've, I've sat and looked at the stars, and I, I just, I mean, I can't, I don't think I can fully understand it because it's so big, all right? And the, and the universe is full of galaxies like this one that are full of like billions of stars. Okay, so this thing is not only massive, not only did God make all those stars, but it's beautiful, you know? Um, it, it's pleasing to look at it, and, and all of space is like that. I mean, there's so much wild-looking stuff out there in space that's pleasing to the eye. All right, let's go to the next one, next photo. This is a sunset. Uh, this was taken, I mentioned that my wife and I had been in Charleston. This is taken on Folly Beach on the pier, looking back to the west um, at the sunset. We were out there. Now, I, I really like uh, sunsets and sunrises. I'm, I'm more often awake for sunsets than I am sunrises, but I like them both. Now, my grandparents taught me to appreciate sunsets. Um, we would be, uh, they had their house, they, they're, they're both dead now, my grandma and grandpa, but their house in Independence had windows on the east and the west so they could watch the sunrises and the sunsets. And we might be out in Independence or something, getting ice cream or something, and, and one of them would say to the other, looks like it's going to be a good sunset, we better get home. And we'd go home and we'd sit down and we'd watch the sunset. And uh, it never failed, my grandpa would say, there's a few things he would say every time, every sunset. First he might say, Austin, uh, how many light bulbs do you think it would take to make that? I don't know. Billions. I don't know. I, I mean, you got to think, there are, we are f on earth flying around the sun, spinning at the same time, and, that's got, and it's not even a relatively big star, the sun, you know, but it creates enough light to make this uh, just beautiful picture show here, right? Um, I, I don't think you could make enough light bulbs and power them all to make that kind of scene there. It's incredible. Um, it's such a huge scale of energy to make that. Next, he might say, um, don't look away because it changes every second, right? If you've ever sat and watched the sunset, you know that. It might start out kind of yellow and turn orange and then turn like red and pink. And then you might get shadows on it that make this like kind of purple look. Um, I remember one sunset specifically looking out their house uh, at, point, at Point Lookout. The tip of the mountain cast this purple, perfect line shadow across the sunset. And I, I've not seen one like it since. Um, so it changes. It's constantly changing. And then he would say, also, 
there's not another sunset like it. Every sunset, sunrise is different, right? Think about the artistry that goes into that. Every sunrise, every sunset is different. They're all unique. All right, next picture. Next picture, we're going to zoom in a little farther. We started way out in space. We came in. Now we're going even farther zoomed in. This is a black-capped chickadee. Um, it's one of my favorite birds. Maybe you have a favorite bird like me. Maybe you don't. I don't know. I have a favorite bird. So the black-capped chickadee is one of my favorite birds. Now, this, is, this bird is not one of my favorite birds because it's a graceful flyer. Look at this guy. He's kind of pudgy. Um, he doesn't look graceful, right? Um, but the chickadee is, incredibly, is an incredibly tough bird. Okay, if you notice, there's snow in the background. If you have a bird feeder, you've probably seen black-capped chickadees. Uh, pretty common around here. Uh, they don't leave for winter, though. They don't leave. They stay here. Now, it gets cold here, but let me tell you, the chickadees in this area, I had, to, I had to Google their range to find this out. The chickadees in this area are like the spoiled chickadees, all right? We're like the southernmost range of the chickadees range, okay? These guys have like the mild winters compared to the ones up in like Canada and Alaska. So they stay through the winter, through the storms, through the cold, and they do that because God, they're God's workmanship. God created them to be able to do that, right? So the chickadee, they eat foods that are high in, in like fat content, seeds with like a high oil fat content. And they, um, when it's cold, they fluff their feathers out. They get extra fluffy so they can, are a little bit more warm. And they actually shut down like most of their bodily functions to, to conserve energy. So they're like basically almost dead when they're asleep. Um, so God created this little bird um, to, to exist in nature in a certain way. And it's God's workmanship. If God cares about the birds, how much more does he care about you, right? Okay, so those are God's workmanship, those three things. Those are kind of some things that my mind goes to, and I thought maybe they'd be helpful to y'all as well. Um, but guess what? You are God's workmanship also. Just like, just like um, Andromeda Galaxy, just like a sunset, just like a chickadee, you are God's workmanship, except that he's created you in his image, right? So that's our third layer of identity. You are made in God's, I'm sorry, you are God's workmanship. He created you, you are uniquely created, just like a sunset, okay? You are uniquely created. You are made uniquely, uh, uh, adapted to certain things, just like the chickadee, right? Now I think about this, imagine if like Ford, Chevy, Dodge, Honda, whatever, uh, car company, you know, they're all about, when we make cars, they have to be, you, know, you have to, you know, one part needs to fit on the other, right? Assembly lines, all this stuff, kind of revolutionized production. Um, so we, we kind of mass produce all these things that are relatively the same. Some might have, you might have the, the super luxury trim package, whatever. doesn't matter. They're all basically the same. Now, imagine that Ford um, mass produced cars, but they gave every single one a custom paint job, all right? That doesn't even come close to what God has done with humans, with us, right? We're uniquely created, on such a massively large scale that it's, it's unfathomable. There's no one like you. There's no one like me. And so what that means, um, you, you have a unique purpose. What does it say back here in our verse? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So God, once, you know, we've got that first button, right? right? We're submitted to Christ. God has good works prepared for you to do. He has a plan for you. And, and that looks different for all of us. You know, um, maybe 
you are really passionate about, maybe you're really passionate about like human trafficking or um, something in that regard, and so you are involved in a ministry to do that. Maybe you are really passionate about uh, homeless people, and so you've been really involved in, in the, the warming shelter down here or community building, and so you, you love serving at the community meal. Um, God made you that way for a reason, to serve a particular purpose in building his kingdom, right? So it looks differently. And guess what? No one can fill that role that you fill, right? You don't need to beat yourself up comparing yourself to other people because you're not like them. I mean, maybe there's some things you need to change. I got things I need to change about myself that God wants to change, right? But you are unique, okay? You have a unique identity. Now, I told you I wanted to kind of talk about Paul. Um, because we see this. This is, God gives us, he shows us an example of this. Very, I mean, with, a, with a lot of people in the Bible, right? Um, but specifically, I thought of Paul. Uh, so if you've read, if you, you know, Paul wrote this book that we're reading, Ephesians, that where these verses are from. Um, you know, like half the New Testament or something comes from Paul, letters that he's written. So much of our theology about who God is comes from those letters. Um, so there's so much that we have because of Paul. But if you know about Paul, you know that he wasn't always Paul, right? He was Saul first. So I remember reading, we did this sermon on Galatians here. And uh, I was a brand spanking new Christian, right? And uh, we were reading Galatians. We read the first chapter here in church. I went home and read the rest of it like two or three times probably. And then I was like, Paul wrote this. I didn't know about Paul. So I started reading Acts. So if you've read Acts, you know about Paul and Paul's conversion. He starts out as Saul. And he starts out, the first place you meet him, um, Stephen. The, uh, an apostle is being martyred. He's being killed, right, for his beliefs, for preaching the name of Jesus Christ. That's where you meet Saul at his murder. Um, Saul is standing by. It says that the people stoning Stephen laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. All right, so Saul is kind of like watching over their coats, their things while they're doing this. He's approved. It says he approved of Stephen's death, right? Later on, you see Paul... Um, persecuting the church. He's getting, he's arresting people, putting them in, in prison. He's got letters from the authorities to, to take people from their homes and jail them, all right? Paul has blood on his hands, okay? But, there it is. There's that important word, that three-letter word, but. But God chose Paul for a particular good work, right? Jesus got a hold of, of Paul, got a hold of Saul, blinds him on the road to Damascus, right? And, uh, you know, for days he doesn't eat or sleep, and, and, and Ananias comes and prays over him. The scales fall from his eyes, and he sees, and he's, he becomes um, alive in Christ, right? He's no longer dead in those sins. He's alive in Christ. That's the change we see, and God uses him in a big way. Like I just said, so much of the New Testament comes from Paul. We have so much good theology uh, his missionary, we, we probably would not be here in this church if it wasn't for Paul's missionary journeys, right? Um, so God used Paul in a big way. Now, I have to ask you, uh, if, if God can change Paul, he can change you. How many Christians have you killed, right? I mean, Paul's kind of, you know, he's a pretty bad dude, okay? So if God can change Paul and use him, he can change you as well. He can change you as well. So, your identity has more to do with who Jesus is than who you are. And we see that because we're made in God's image. We are, um, because of Jesus Christ, we are either made alive with Christ or we are still dead in our sins, right? And then last, of course, um, is this idea of workmanship, that we are God's workmanship because God has uniquely created us 
for good works, right? Okay. I told you I wanted to end up back at the image of God, and that's what we're going to do. That's where we're going next. Okay, this is from John Piper uh, from his website. Uh, it's either something he wrote or a transcript of something that he said. Um, and I, I was just kind of looking into the, you know, what it means to be the Im- made in the image of God, just kind of searching that a little bit. And I came across this article, and I thought it was really, really good, this analogy that John Piper has. So I'm going to read it to you. Now, what would it mean if you created seven billion statues of yourself and put them all over the world? It would mean you want people to notice you. God created us in his image so that we would display or reflect or communicate who he is, how great he is, and what he is like. Here's the picture in my mind. I was created like a mirror, and a mirror that was supposed to be 45 degrees with the clear reflective side pointing upward so that as God shone on it at the 45 degree angle, it would bounce off, it would make a 90 degree turn and be reflected out into the world. And at the fall, Satan persuaded me that my image is more beautiful than God's image. And so I flipped the mirror over. Now the black backside is toward God. It doesn't reflect anything. Instead, the mirror casts a shadow in the shape of itself on the ground, and I fell in love with the shadow. That is what happened, and we have been loving ourselves ever since. And in salvation, right, that's that first button, two things happen. The mirror gets turned around and we see the glory of God again. And the defilement that had gone over the face of it gets wiped off gradually. And we begin to reflect God. So I think being created in the image of God means that we image God. We reflect God. We live in a way, we think in a way, we feel in a way, we speak in a way that calls attention to the brightness of the glory of God. So our purpose then, our identity, our, we're intended to reflect who God is, right? We're made in the image of God, but... We either can't or don't reflect God because we're broken, right? We're blurry. That image has, has gotten dirty, blurry, distorted. Um, but we, we've come full circle, right? So even though that image is broken, because of God's grace for us, because of what Jesus did on the cross, uh, we're made right with God, right? We, um, from there, you know, we're, we're God's workmanship. He's created us for these good works. He's refining us. Uh, using us to build his kingdom, right? And so as that refinement, as, that, as he's working on us, um, um, sanctifying us, changing us, right, we are able to reflect God the way that we were intended. Now, kind of to wrap up here, ending on a few different notes. Um, first, I want to say if you are unsure about who you are, I want you to seek out who Jesus is. If you're unsure about who you are, seek out who Jesus is. Remember that ties back. Your identity has more to do with who Jesus is than who you are. Seek out who Jesus is. You know, um, pray and read the Bible. Get in the Word. Ask questions. Um, Don't be afraid to wrestle with hard questions about God, about who God is, um, about who we are, things like that. I know I like being asked questions. I like answering questions. Um, I think God does too, and I think that um, he wants us to wrestle with those things because it draws us closer to him ultimately. Now, two more things. Uh, some questions. I'm going to leave you guys with some questions. First one is directed at uh, believers, people who, um, who recognize or submit to Christ as their Savior, right? The first thing is, how has God changed you? What are your, like, Saul to Paul moments? How have you been changed by God? 
All right, and what do you think, next one, how do you think God wants to change you now? What do you think God wants to work on in your heart now? Um, and last here, what kind of good works has God called you to do now that you are, um, God is changing you, you're, you're becoming more able to reflect who God is by his work, right? What kind of works do you think God wants for you to do? And are you doing them, right? Are you... Um, Seeking out and trying to fill that unique identity that he's made for you, right? Now, last, uh, directed, if, if you don't know Christ, right? If you've not got that first button done, remember, that is, that is where everything changes. God's grace is a free gift that makes us right with God. The, the eternal consequence is hell, or you can be made right with God and spend eternity with him in heaven, right? So I want to ask you, if that's, not, if that's you, what is stopping you from accepting that gift of grace? What's holding you back from that? Why not, you know? What's holding you back? If you want to make that choice, if that's something you want to do, that's something you can do today. It's a gift. You just have to receive it, right? Um, you can do that at any time. If you want to talk to me about that, I'll be here after the service. Um, kind of probably back in that area somewhere. Um, you can make that choice now. You don't even need me to do it. You can just do it, you know? That's what's beautiful about the gospel. It's all on God. It's not on you. Okay, let's pray. The praise team's going to come back up. Thank you so much for this day. Um, I thank you for all the people you've brought and um, just thank you for this time that we can worship you, God, because uh, you, God, are worthy of worship because of what you do for us, the way that you have saved us, the way that you have created us, God. Um, our response is to worship you, and I'm um, just so thankful for that, thankful that we can do that, thankful that you... Um, you, you do make us in your image, and you do save us by your grace, and we are your workmanship, God. I'm so thankful for that. Thankful that that's not on me to do, because I can't do it. I tried to do it in the past, and I can't do it, God. So um, I just thank you. I just thank you for this time of worship. I just pray, God, as we sing this last song and worship you, God, that you would um, just humble us, keep us um, focused on you, help us to let go of anything we might be holding on to, and just worship you for who you are. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.